The Laughter Permitted Podcast is brought to you by Ally. Do it right. Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to Laughter Permitted. I think I'm only going to talk in this voice all <laughs> podcast, Lynn. I'm Julie Foudy. I'm here with Lynn Ozawi. Hi, Lynn. Hey there, Jules. You know, Lynn, I have been wanting to have a mm-hmm. surfer on the pod for a while now. Slow clap, please. <laughs> you have. It's, it has uh, been on your wish list. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that ramped up a little bit because in quarantine, I mean, I think it's fair to say. I crushed it with my surfing game. I mean, people at all the surf spots talk about how good you are. I'm becoming a legend in my own mind. Uh, As for a legit surfer, let me introduce you to our guest, two-time world surfing champion, Tyler Wright. Tyler comes actually from a surfing family in Australia. Her two brothers are also professionals. She went pro as a teenager, and then in 2018, Tyler got really sick, and she talks candidly in this podcast with us about just how hard it got while she was ill, and also her awakening in the process. Tyler has gone from a shy teenager on the Pro Surf Tour to an outspoken activist, and the transformation is incredible to hear about. So, get comfortable listening. It's Tyler Wright. Hey there, Dope Village. Lynn and I have been involved in women's sports our entire lives, and truly, we've never been more excited for what's to come in this women's sports space. And one big reason, ally, Ally has made a commitment to an equal media investment in women's and men's sports. And that means more money going to women's sports and more visibility for what these incredible athletes are accomplishing. Ally is on a mission to change the game for women's sports. So here at Laughter Permitted, we're going to keep telling the stories of trailblazing women And every time you listen in, you are part of that change. To learn more about Ally, go to ally.com. Hey there, Dope Village. As y'all know, Ally has backed Laughter Permitted since day one of our podcast as our financial ally. And honestly, Lynn, I might just tattoo Ally on my forehead. And Ally is currently on a mission to change the game for women sports. And get this, along with being sponsors of the National Women's Soccer League, Atlantic Coast Conference, United States Golf Association, and the Las Vegas Aces, Ally has committed to an equal media investment in women's and men's sports. And you, my friends, can be part of the change by watching your favorite athletes crush it on TV, by going to women's sporting events in person, by, I don't know, maybe listening to every single episode of this amazing podcast on trailblazing women. Because every time you show up for women's sports, you are helping move the game forward. You can learn more about Ally by visiting ally.com. Kick back, relax, and unwind. Let's have a good time. Get comfortable listening. It's laughter permitted.
sorry at all this is all good oh my god we are so time zone challenged tzc time zone challenged yeah that's oh. what julie dubbed me and apparently <laughs> i've infected her she had some issues this week with another this is my well, second time i had a call like i was out running the dog and all of a sudden my agent in a panic was like why aren't you on the zoom <gasps> what zoom are you talking about I I feel like we've all been there though. Right. Like we've all been there. It's, I know. This is definitely not like the first time this has happened. It's like, ah shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being professional right now and I'm not. I'm on the couch or like whatever. <laughs> I love you, Aussies. You're all so easy. You're so nice. No problem that you're a half hour late, Julie. No problem. Oh, honestly, it's not. It's like <gasps> it's I've I've got plenty of time for you guys, so it's all good. Um all right. So the first thing we always do, Tyler, when we start the podcast is we set the scene. So where are you, darling? What are you doing? All those things. I'm in Sydney of Australia and oh. I'm at my manager's office. Oh, you're not even yeah. home. I'm sorry. I'm not I'm... even home, but it's okay. It's um, This is probably a better environment for this because I have dogs and they love to bark at the wind. <laughs> Yeah, I know. You're going to hear mine. So, yeah. <laughs> in fact, when we get to our game, like she'll hear the squeaky toy from like five miles away. She's like, wah, 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 wah. she comes barking. <laughs> um, you are our first surfer on the podcast, by the way. I, that yeah. is, I think I know that, and I think it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's rad. We're yeah, super fun. Hopefully, it sets a good standard. And I will say, one of the silver linings of quarantine, um, was that my surfing prowess reasserted itself. And, yes. and we put prowess in air quotes. Yes. But Izzy, my 14 year old, is pretty good. She's like a pretty good longboarder. So we we hit Sano all the time. You know San Clemente. Yes. No way. Sano is fun. It's perfect for longboarding. Yeah. Um, I love that you surf and that your daughter surfs because it, yeah, so it is a cool sport. I love it. We'll have to go to the wave pool. Like, oh, don't even say that. She'd be yeah, like, no, what? We'll have to go to, yeah, I heard that's like, amazing. Yeah, is that is that the ranch? Is that what they call that? Yeah, the ranch. I just yeah. call it the wave pool, but yeah. it's in the middle of nowhere, um, and it's it, it's quite the experience. You've done <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, I have been there a, a few times, but not for a few years now, but it is, it is a fun time. Essentially, you can learn how to get barreled in one day. Jeez. Oh, Honestly, anyone could do it. It's so cool. <laughs> no, you have not seen me surf, so don't say that. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll we'll make it happen. I don't know about that. Let's also, if you would, set the scene of your childhood. So I grew up in a in a really small coastal town uh, on the south coast of Australia in New South Wales. Um, I am one of five kids. My dad is an absolute fanatic uh, when mm -hmm. it comes to surfing. And so all of my siblings surfed. Um, it was kind of like a one in all in kind of thing. And the beach was right there. So it was from really young, we knew water safety and it was just part of the lifestyle and culture. Um, obviously we were really good at it. And we have the, out of five siblings, there's three of us that are professional. Um, wow. The other so two probably crazy. could have been professional. So I, I won at a really young age, like a, a major event 
at 14 and then by 16 was on the world tour and then I'm 26 and I have two world titles. What was your reality as a teenager becoming a pro surfer? Look, I, I find it probably isolating when you're so young and you're so good, like surfing didn't really know what to do with that. And there wasn't really one of those pathways sort of things where it's like, she can stay in school. She's fine. She will make the tour. It was kind of like, oh, she's going to be a world champion. Rip her out of school. Get her on the road for 10 months of the year. Like train her up. And she's now a professional. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I just wanted to go make some friends. But I was not consciously going, you know what, guys, I'm going to be on tour at this age. I was going to be doing this. It was kind of like by the time I even was like, oh, like this is my life and I get to do what I want to do. I was on tour. All right, so let's fast forward from that childhood to July of 2018. You're on a plane heading to South Africa and you're going for an event, a, a tour event, and you get off the plane and you're like, I'm not feeling that great. What, what happened on that night? I ignored it. I was like, it's just being an athlete. You're tired. Um, you're, I was jet lagged and I ended up a few days later um, being in hospital and being very, very sick. I had, it was all really weird symptoms and losing consciousness and pain like I've never felt before. I just had these really weird symptoms, but it was more just the pain. Like it mm. felt it was shooting through my bones. And what did they diagnose? They diagnosed influenza A, essentially gave me, drugged me up and sent me back to where I was staying. And oh they're like, gosh. And still in be, South Africa. You're still, still there. in South Africa. Uh-huh. And we, they sent me back to J Bay, which is where the contest was running in a few days. And they're like, you'll be, you'll be fine. You know, it should all clear up. And it didn't. It didn't. So I went back there. So for like a week, I had a, um, I don't know what kind of fever the numbers of Fahrenheit, but for me it was like a, in Celsius it was like 39 degree fever for a week straight and my heart rate was like 110 for a week as well, which it just oh my God, essentially... Wait, you double the number, so 39, 39, 78, and you add 30. So that would be 108. Yeah. Is that right? Maybe, is it, maybe it was 38. <laughs> Yeah, so that would be 76, 106. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, between that. And so I was just cooking. My brain was cooking. And so, like, that was the thing. Like, like when I was in the hospital, when we were waiting, like, I literally, like, essentially pretty much passed out on the ground. I was like, I can't sit up. I can't, like, keep my body up. I'm losing it. And after I got out of hospital, they're like, yeah, just go, like, be chill, take your drugs, whatever. Um, obviously, I didn't get better, but we had on-site medical help at the contest. So they then started treating me. Um, and I remember the doctors were so nervous to tell me that I couldn't surf. They wouldn't say it. Um, and all while I'm going, I'm dying. I really don't – I'm not really worried about that. But they're like, yeah, yeah but your history just says that – you're going to go out, but with your heart, they were so worried about my heart um, and that I was going to 
try and go and surf because it was already running at 110 beats laying down. So they were like freaking out. Um, yeah, I do remember that. But mostly it was just, it was kind of a nightmare. Um, and they kept telling, even the doctors on the ground were like, you'll feel better. Like they'll give me drugs and um, they're like, you'll feel better. But I did not feel better. No, <laughs> like, and not and not only did you not feel better in the short term, I mean, yeah. this this took a long time to figure out. It Paint did, that yeah. picture for us and just how hard it was. Yeah. When I'm, like, told two weeks, I literally think two weeks. I'm like, sure. it doesn't matter how bad I was. I was like, I lost eight kilos and there was so many different things going on. But I was like, two weeks. Okay, two weeks and then I'm done. And then that means that's done. And I can I'm fine from that point. It took me a week for my fever to come down uh, so that I could qualify to fly and got home and was like, all right, I'll take it slow for another week and then I should be fine. So I was doing things and then all of a sudden I would be losing it, like wigging out so hard. My body would be shooting pains everywhere. Mm. And But, yeah, it really took like another few months to kind of really find out what was wrong. They diagnosed me with post-viral syndrome. Essentially it was just um, the virus hit me so hard that my body um, wasn't recovering. Um, it, it almost destroyed me. My whole body, uh, you know, went from being a professional athlete kind of thing to, to not being able to sit in a room uh, with having any kind of noise go on light sound food was a nightmare I could barely eat um and everything thinking was a nightmare sleep I didn't sleep for two years um I'd have Mm. um they call them night terrors so it was a really um hard picture to kind of pull the pieces together um but after like a year and a half we found out that through the virus you know hit me so hard that it kind of I had all these disorders from it. So a neuroinflammatory disorder, a nervous system disorder. I had um, POTS, which is like, I can't actually say the full name, but essentially every time I stand up, my heart goes nuts. Mm. I had um, fluid around my heart because how hard it pumped um, to keep me alive. Ended up having multiple. They found um, influenza A, but when further testing showed that I had Etzenblavirus, cytomegvirus, like a pneumonia or two strains of pneumonia. It is hard to imagine though what it was like. What would you say the low point was in that time? I think there was one night, I remember it so clearly too. Like it was a, there's a bunch of moments where it was just like, I'll get better today. That was my thing. I'll wake up and I'll be better. You know, that was, I just, I just couldn't believe I was this sick. And I think I was, or half blamed myself for it, even though I had no control over it. I, you know, and then you have people that love you and care about you and and you see the impact, you kind of see it through their eyes and you're like, oh, they look really scared and worried all the time. Mm. Like something mm-hmm. must be really wrong. And, you know, it was one of these nights, like I woke up and it was probably about six months in and it just wasn't stopping. Like the pain wasn't stopping. We had no answers. We, you know, were trying so hard to do all the right things. And um, I think I rolled over one night and was just like, 
uh, to my partner at the time was like, I think it was about 1am and I hadn't slept and it's like, again, hadn't slept in like six months and was like, I, I can't keep going. I'm, mm. I'm done. Uh, I know that's not something that we, we lightly talk about. It was to the point where I no longer wanted to be on the planet. I was in that much pain oh. um, and I had no answers and I was so desperate um, to be who I once was. And I was still adapting to the fact that I wasn't her anymore and trying to mm. accept the fact that my b- body was just trying to survive every day. You know, it was one of those things that's so weird because, like, it's not like I wanted to l- leave the planet. It's not like I, I wanted those things. It was just that I hadn't, I couldn't keep going. I was, yeah. I was in so much pain and, and it was like, I, I essentially was like, I need more help. I think people are like, oh, you know, you get, you get kind of knocked down and you, get back up kind of thing like that's that real athlete kind of thing I was like I got knocked down so many times that I just never got off the floor and so it broke me so many different ways and and all the bits that felt like me were being ripped away and I didn't have a choice but yeah so I think that was probably the lowest point um it was probably like yeah about six months into it and yeah I obviously got a lot more help after that um but yeah mentally just it's it, yeah. it's almost it's almost as if you when you're stripped to your core really mm. right yeah and 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 you're you're laid bare mm. it's this okay i'm it's an awakening i would imagine in a sense right of of i've got to realize what matters to me right now yeah no it was like i was so exposed um you know I was so vulnerable to everything and anything you know it was an unfortunate not unfortunate time but just I'd never stopped in my entire life and for me not that I was been running from things but I definitely hadn't sat still for a reason you know Mm. and everything caught up everything caught up Mm -hmm. in that time too and it you know, having not emotionally been able to articulate myself from such a young age and, and never having the language or the safety um, to be able to do that meant that through this time, like, it, you know, it was really difficult because I all of a sudden had to kind of find what was actually meaningful to me and, like, mm-hmm. why I wanted to stay on the planet. And I was sitting there going, for me, I was lucky I had love and, and it was, you know, and that's for me what, kept me here through that time I I definitely had moments where I was like yep this is this is not great this is this is not a fun time I'm not liking this my body and my mind are so scrambled all the time that it's it's getting really hard to be here and so yeah like one of those things it is it strips you of everything what eventually turned things around where you did get healthier yeah so Right, I think it was about a year and or maybe a year and a couple of months after I originally got sick. And a few different circumstances were going on. Like two of my brothers were concussed. And so they went and saw Brett Jaros. He's a sports and exercise chiropractor. Um, and he also has a degree in functional neuroscience. And so he was kind of treating their concussions. So eventually he called me and was like, Ty, like, I've read your story, like, um, talk to me. And I started talking to him and he's like, all right, I'm coming up. I can only offer you a consult. And on the first meeting within five minutes, 
he brought on like every symptom I could have and I was so mad he provoked (laughs) it he and that's what he said he's like I'm gonna have to make you worse before I make you better I'm gonna have Ah. to see what's happened in your brain but essentially he put me on a neuro rehab program seven weeks in he was like the next step is to get me in the water seven weeks in next step is to get me at a comp and this is all like from this really physical standpoint neurological functionality kind of standpoint um and on the emotional side he's like ty this is going to mess you up like for you to get back you need to get into normal circumstances for us to know where you're really at and so it's one of these processes where actually the recovery kind of i knew i i knew i was getting better and and that helped so much Um, but it also made me want to be better so much more. I wanted to be back so much more, Um, even though who I was coming back to wasn't really who who I once was. Why did it make you want so badly to come back? You know, wanting to come back, it wasn't so much about the surfing. It wasn't so much about competing. I just wanted to live a normal day. You know, it started with a minute. I was like, I just Mm. wish that I'd have a minute where I could breathe Mm. just a minute in one day. And, you know, some days I would get that minute and then I would want more. It sounds like you finally got hope as well. Hope helped. Hope helped a lot. And I think, yeah, like sometimes through, you know, that the kind of darker side of it, you know, I'd hold on to things that I would want to do one day. Like hold on to to things that, and all the smallest things. If I can just sit outside in the sun, which is two meters away, and take a deep breath, I'll be. That's, I'm. That was a killing a day for me um, for such a long time. So, when you mentioned that you wanted to realize what you wanted to live for, mm. and you had that break thanks to COVID, right? Like Mm. the World Surf League shut down. There were no events. So you're not competing. You are uh, fighting to get back. What what are the things going through your brain? What is that person thinking about? That person, like when, when the world shut down, like we had a comp. It was the last comp I'd surfed before COVID. And it was my second comp back. And I had a, a full on blown public panic attack because it was just, you know, there's so much anxiety around. And, and I think that really kind of, it didn't highlight, no, it probably highlighted a few things that I wasn't like, wasn't at all anywhere near, you know, psychologically healed from what had happened to me. And not that I proclaimed that anyway. I'd literally tell people, I'm like, no, I'm as scrambled as you can get. Like I am barely holding on. Um, and, and, you know, anything can set me off. Like any memory decides to come back up and it was so hard for me to differentiate between where I was in real time and, and the last two years. So it would constantly be this back and forth. And like, it was so and that was, they explained that to me and was like, that's what trauma is. That's what trauma mm-hmm. to the brain is and uh, like PTSD. And so when COVID stopped, like I literally went and sat still almost for like 
six weeks, like I disappeared. I felt like I could breathe because I no longer had to kind of live up to the expectation that the world was wanting me to be back in this world, wanting these world titles and I'm back because I'm surfing, but mentally a, a wreck and probably in denial of how much I was in a wreck and how, how deep the wounds really were for me. What did you learn about yourself in that time that was quiet? I think I learned that it, it really hurt me to get that sick. I spent so much time trying to convince everyone that I was fine, <laughs> that I really didn't allow myself to feel how unfine I was, how not okay I was. And I think I just, I remember just going, once it happened, like, I'd be like, I think I'd call my sister every day, just bawling my eyes out. Mm. I think I had my psych as well. He was like 20 minutes away. So we'd sit in the, like sit in the park outside my house while COVID was at its peak and um, we'd just sit there and I'd just cry um, because I think I finally let myself feel how bad it hurt. In that time specifically, it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, I probably didn't need to try so hard to be okay when I wasn't. And I think it was one of those times where I was like, why don't I ask for help more? Like, mm -hmm. like it was this real time where I was like, no, I need more help. And mm -hmm. I was also really angry. I was angry at surfing and I was angry mm -hmm. at the world and I was angry at the insensitivity of so many different things. And I was so angry all the time. And, you know, in surfing, no one's angry. And I've always kind of been a little bit angry. I started looking at the environment that I was in a lot and, and what that environment really perpetuated to me consistently. And I kind of started to change the voices that I had around me. And at COVID, it was like a lot of that was online. So I started watching like old Olympic finals of the USA and and Australia's basketball team with Liz, uh, Lauren Jackson and you had mm. Sue Bird and Donna Taurasi and they're like, and Penny Taylor. I didn't even know Penny Taylor existed and that's Diana Taurasi's wife and she's mm -hmm. Australian, played on the Opals team. And like I started watching, uh, like really listening to women uh, speak and to, to the leaders of sport of today, which is you guys, um, listening to your podcast. So for me, like, that's when I really started to feel like I had more language to articulate exactly mm. how I felt, exactly how I, and more specific to surfing, but also looked at my own environment and was like, okay, I need to make some changes. This is not healthy. There's a very insular toxicity around this and I need to get out and kind of start exposing myself to voices that, you know, uplift and that actually mm -hmm. you know challenged me to to not only be a two times world champion but to be more than that i've heard you talk about tyler the toxicity in that was around mm. you and and in part with the surfing culture um on mm. the lineup podcast which was really good um, yeah. Explain that a little bit because I, I, I come from this surfing community and I was like, oh my gosh, 
oh my gosh, like San Clemente is a huge surfing community where I live, right? Yeah, for me, like the surfing culture um, has been really toxic. You know, I think we were really founded at a time where racism, sexism and homophobia were really quite present. Um, And I think that has really kind of perpetuated in its foundation and kind of consistently been tracked throughout time to where we are today. And I think there's also in that there's a really, you know, a really push for having undereducated athletes. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no school pathways. There's no university pathways. Um, no one is at all expected to be anything other than silent and surf. That's it. That's mm-hmm. all everyone's expected to be. And the other expectation is to act like you're entitled. Um, more on the men's side um, because I think originally where they kind of found like they were given all the support from the start whereas the women have kind of come from this place of being undervalued over sexualized um, underrepresented and and having no voice or no power within the surfing community so Mm. I think we're at a really interesting time where we should be kind of reckoning with that toxicity we should be kind of looking at that you know when you're raised in that and that's all you know all you know is and all you see is people just accepting the kind of indignities and the inequality as is you know the u.s women's soccer team you cannot get a better better example like what you guys have come out and consistently Ain't gonna argue done. with that one tyler yeah, like, <laughs> like, I hear you, sister. yeah like i've like it's honestly like setting a standard like it is setting the standard um and and then you you go in and you watch the WNBA and like all of it you know their their social justice council and you know the WNPA I think it's called Mm -hmm. where the players association kind Mm -hmm. of thing and you go in and you listen to them talk and you're Mm -hmm. like whoa like okay this is this is what this is the words and the the articulation of how I feel and what I see in my sport but no one is saying anything well, your your point about you're just supposed to be silent and, and go surf, right? Yeah. Well, you clearly um, stop subscribing to that <laughs> point because when you come back from COVID in one of those first events, I think it was your first event back from COVID, right? Yeah. It was, yeah. And you surprised a lot of people in that moment and what you did in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. What made you do that and what was the reaction? Yeah, so it was the first comp, yeah, out of covid and we'd obviously seen the Black Lives Matter pick up through your guys' summer, through, you know, the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and, and so many more. And, and I think it really, you know, shone a light on something that has always been there. Um, and it's not, you know, so privileged to, to have not have engaged in this up until now. And, you know, I think it was really for me and I hope for surfing like a world reckoning with its own prejudice and stereotypes and bias and racism. And I've made quite a conscious decision to bring the human in me to work, bring the human in me to, to my athlete and to really use the platform and the privileges I have with that platform. And and something that I never really realized I had, I was always running the other way from that platform. Mm. And so I, at that first comp back, I at the start of my heat, I took a knee for close to eight minutes. It was 439 seconds. 
and every second was for a First Nations life that has been lost in custody in Australia. And, mm. you know, I think in Australia specifically, it's, you know, our First Nations is um, have and, and continue to be treated uh, terribly. You know, it was, we're a colonised country and, yep, there's the indignities across the board and inequality from health, prison, um, foster care. Uh, it's just unacceptable. And I think it was one of those moments where it was kind of like, no, I, I don't choose to sit on the sidelines on this matter. I, I've cared about this in my private life for such a long time that it was too big of an issue, human rights issue. And it's something that I think coming back is just, and it was, yeah, I don't know the right thing to do or, is just yeah. and just to put a visual to that like that image of you kneeling with your fist in the air with black lives matter on the bottom of your board in in big black ink right that you had written on there and mind you this is while everyone else is out there competing and surfing you're mm. taking the fa- first how many minutes did you say 439 seconds eight minutes ish yeah. yeah it's close to eight minutes yeah of your heat to make mm. this silent protest w- what yeah. was the reaction to that there was obviously support for it. I told, um, you know, I, I kind of told the WSL but also asked um, and just said, hey, look, this is what I, I want to do this and, and this is where I want to do it. And, you know, I think the reaction from the, you know, the internet, like surfers around the world from uh, black surfers, brown surfers, indigenous surfer has been overwhelming um and i i didn't think that would happen that reaction has been the only thing that kind of mattered to me and just going hey look like i'm a white woman and i will never know what it's like to be black in this world and i will never understand what it is like to live as a black woman in this world but i do understand what it's like um to face inequality and i 100 percent am here for racial justice and I'm 100% mm-hmm. for here for equality and I think surfing is one of those sports where I feel like we can kind of feel like we're exempt from it um, we can find and feel like we're a bit progressive um, but when you really dig in you can kind of go well we're not um, and, and, it, and it, it didn't take you know the conversations that I've been so lucky to have from making that stand in the sense of it you know the communities that I've been able to connect with as well and and for me I'm like look I'm just here just use me um you know I will rip off whatever boardroom door you need to me to rip off I can do that <laughs> and and the really cool thing about that is like like I know what gets me in those boardrooms like it's the world titles mm-hmm. <laughs> so and that's I do come on I come to work and I'm like yes no I'm going to dominate because this is what I'm going to dominate. I will I'm get going to in- get in that damn boardroom. Yes, exactly. It sounds like you're finally doing things on your own terms. So when it comes to surfing, are you finding more joy? Yeah, I think so. I think it. it's, I feel like surfing and I, we have a relationship. Surfing has been a part of my life since day one. And, you know, and then I'm in the position that I'm in now as well, where it's my job. It's my profession. Um, you know, there's certain performance requirements that I need, but I do find joy in my entire job. 
you know, not just mm-hmm. the surfing, but, you know, I never really embraced any other part. I was like, you know, when I was so young, I was like, if they just know me for this, I can protect the rest of who I am. I can keep Tyler, the, you mm-hmm. know, the kid that just wants to read books, the really sensitive. I can just act like this super kind of tough kid. And, and then just hopefully everyone will leave me alone and I can just kind of live this kind of quiet and private life. And I think that's also a little bit my experience of surfing. It wasn't really safe for me to be me anyway. So the fact that I did do that, you know, I was like, why did you never do this when you were younger? Like I would be like kind of a bit judgmental. And now I'm like, damn, this environment's not mate, it's not even ready for me kind of thing. It's not, it's not kind of like, um, I know it sounds a little bit weird, but they have no idea what they're getting into, right? What they're getting. I know. And now, and now like I have these moments, I'm like, Oh, I don't know if surfing's stuffed up by picking me, you know, like the amount of things that I want to do in surfing specifically now, I'm like, I don't know if you stuffed up. I don't know, like, if I'm the best thing that's ever happened to you or, like, your worst choice ever. But I'm not going anywhere now. It's coming. Hey, hey, and when they tell you rein it in, as they used to tell me all the time, you need to rein it in. Do not rein it in. I'd be like, rein this in. Listen. Yeah. (laughs) So this is, like, these are the sorts of things that I need. Like, it's, like, because I've kind of gone and watched that. that. The amount of times people, like, you know, you need to, you know, kind of pull it in. Like, you need to kind of fall back in line. I'm like. Do you, I? Like, I think when I was younger, I'd be like, that seems rather odd, but okay. But now I'm like, no, I'll just get you to sit down and let me explain to you why that's an yeah. issue coming yeah. from you um, to telling me how to like yeah. rein let's it in. Let's have a conversation. I, let's have it. Let's sit down. And I think it's, it's one of those things that always used to happen because, and it was actually happening in my family quite a lot where my two brothers are also professionals. Um, And I didn't ever realize this, but my partner a few years ago at the time did. She's like, do you realize that you're actually more qualified than them, but they're telling you how to do your job that you're more qualified (laughs) than they are. And I'm like, yeah, but what am I like, like, you know, they think they're, you know, they think they're the best and that is what it is. And I love them. They're oddly annoying, but that is my daily occurrence with my 12-year-old son telling my 14-year-old daughter how to do everything. It's so yes, funny. exactly. And then it was, I had these kind of moments where now, very much now, I'm like, anytime anyone makes a comment, I'm like, oh, wait, I, I don't want to check you right now, but last time I checked, I'm the one with the titles. So let me tell you how to do this like and it's and it's one of them's really good with it my my younger one I was like you want me to you want me to like because they won't they won't ask and oh you know, excuse me do you want me to write two-time world yes. surfing champion anywhere? <laughs> well that's the thing like my younger one he's kind of like a rookie and he's had heaps of wild cards onto these yeah. events but he hasn't quite capitalized and for me I'm like mm-hmm, you're running a bit of a show it's a bit of a mess <laughs> And I'm like, if you want my help, just let me know. And not like I'm one of the, like, I won't say too much, but like yeah. getting to the point where I'm like, all right, nah, okay. You want me to, you want my honest opinion? And they'll be like, all right, this is what you need. This is the things. Look in this area, look in that area, look in this. And it's like, I've never thought of that. And I'm like, mm-hmm, oh, I know, that's see? why I'm telling you these things. So, and oh. like, so 
you know, surfing. Yeah, I do have a lot more join and I think I'm much more embraceive of my position in surfing as well. I think, you know, for me, it's all about the next generation. You know, if I can set up structures and frameworks um, and have the hard conversations now with so many different people because these two titles get me in the room. I'm like, all right, if you want to listen because of those things, that's your choice. But this is what I'm here to do and say. And I think these are the things that we need to do as a community so that everyone in this community feels like they're in a safe environment. Everyone in this community is seen and heard and valued and everyone can show up and be exactly who they are. And they're not having to walk into a comp site with their boyfriend or their girlfriend, um, you know, and, and kind of flinch when they go to show affection, Mm -hmm. you know, or Mm -hmm. there's this, it's, I hope that surfing can become this really safe and inclusive and equal environment. You know, I think that's one of those things where if I can do this now and have women like yourselves, you know, on podcasts and visible and have representation and, you know, the U S women's soccer team out there, absolutely being boss women and which has a flow on effect to all women. And, you know, I just get so excited because in 10 years time, like I'm really young. Like I wouldn't consider, like I've been in this sport as a professional yeah. for 10 years. You're just I'm, starting to, I'm, you're just starting to yeah. knock down all these barriers. Yeah. Right? So like, it, like does feel, yeah, yeah, it does feel like the start of many, many different things and yeah. many, many exciting things. And I think yeah, I so figured it's, out. Yeah. <laughs> have you read Untamed by chance? <laughs> yes, I have. Yeah, Tyler, have, yeah, you're a goddamn cheetah. Goddamn yeah. cheetah, Glenn, I'm gonna God be telling cheetah. you that. Hell yeah, I am. You have been um, unleashed out of the yeah. cage. A little okay, bit. but I hope that joy that you're now feeling doesn't get crushed by this game <laughs> and my competitiveness. That's gonna come at you hot right. right now. Let's do it. It's time for the game where our guest goes head to head with Julie in a round of trivia. The most important part, how you're going to make your noise to buzz, chime, or squeak in. Julie, I'll let you start start off with what you've got today. Hopefully Swaggy's not around. <laughs> oh, that was a good solid <laughs> Powerful. One. Powerful squeak. Tyler might be improvising. What have you got? I am. I've got a drink bottle and... Ooh, oh, nice. Nice tone to it. Is it a oh, wide okay. mouth? No, good. Okay. <laughs> That's a yeah. reference to a, an episode we did with Emily Harrington that you must good listen one. to. You listen to okay. that one. Yeah. Yes. Here is the today's trivia game. Five questions, best of five wins. They are all multiple choice. I'm nervous. I know, I know. I get so nervous. I do get nervous. <laughs> Wait, I get is like this subject that I'm going to know? Great question. I always try and find a commonality between the guest and Julie. And the one I came up with was Hawaii. Oh, so, okay. okay. The theme okay. is who knows Hawaii? Okay. All of the questions are about Hawaii. Oh, okay. Yeah. I love Hawaii. I have a feeling I'll have a disadvantage here from mm. someone who's surfed it her whole life. Okay. <laughs> here we go. Question one. These are so absurd. <laughs> what is the official state mammal of Hawaii? Is it A, the Hawaiian monk seal? B, the Hawaii. <laughs> The Hawaiian hoary bat, or C, the Indian mongoose. Oh, for the love of God! Someone just pick one. The mongoose. Incorrect. Oh, damn. 
What were the other choices? <laughs> Hawaiian monk seal, seal or the monk Hawaiian... seal, monk seal. Correct. Oh yes, yeah. that's a good guess. One zero, one zero. I'm not gonna I totally lie. I forgot, that one, I forgot the first two. I just went with the last thing I heard. Question two: Which island hosts the Ironman World Championship? <laughs> Julie. The Big Island. Correct. Tyler, yeah. this could be short. Yeah. This could be very, very short. Question three. What is Hawaii's official team sport? Is uh, it A, soccer, B, outrigger canoe paddling, or C, badminton? Tyler. Outrigger paddling. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Question four. What, okay, is, Hawaii, what is Hawaii's official individual sport? Is it A, surfing? B, table tennis, or C, kayaking? <laughs> Julie. Surfing. Correct. Tyler, how, get, I... how did I beat you <laughs> in your own sport? <laughs> I was oh like, my... I thought it was a trick question. I was like, no, nah, there can't be. I'm like, I almost went in at A, and yeah, I thought that might yeah. be too aggressive. I got to get I'm... in there. All right. I'm... Tyler, okay. here's the thing. You are officially invited back on Laughter Permitted, and we will do a round two of this game. Yes. Okay. The other thing, this was really good for Julie because she yeah. loses all yeah, the okay, time. Okay. She needed this for her. Tyler, confidence. thank you. Hey, for I'm that. just here to uplift. Thank exactly. You. Here, like for you to get the good feels, for you to be like on back on the roll. Like I've got this. Yeah. So whoever you got next, just be it's like, yeah, nice no, I'm good you. to go. You like okay. That. Most pressing questions. Are you ready, Tyler? Let's do it. When you come to Trestles, which is the end of the season, right? In September? Yes. yes. Uh, this really isn't a question. This is more, I've gotten more into <laughs> statements in my most recent questions. <laughs> I just want you to know that, I love I'm, that though. I'm here for you to get right. you ready for competition. That I will up your game when you get here with my surfing prowess. Yeah, like quotes. we can run some heats. We can like have a couple practice sessions. <laughs> okay. Thank you. That was it. Out of the three of us, I'm the only one who has never surfed. I have watched the movie what? Blue Crush a lot, though. <gasps> a lot. Don't worry. You... I love Blue Crush. So I'd like to live vicariously through you, which is to ask you, what is the best wave you've ever ridden? And please describe what it felt like when you caught that wave. Um, Best wave. All right. The... There's one wave in my hometown. I caught it a few years ago. Um, it was like, it's probably like 12 foot. And it was me and my brother, little brother, essentially. Like a big wave, like a probably, yeah, 12 foot wave comes through. I was like, not it. Like quite literally yelled, not it. And he's like, no, you are. <laughs> and then I was like, I don't know why, but I just was like, yeah, fair enough. Turned around. And I was so like, I was so late into this wave and knifed into it. And it kind of just like, just like throws over you barrels and then kind of like for quite a while as well. And eventually I came out and like was so surprised that I claimed it. And it was one of the Do best rides. Like, yes. No, like literally I just like, came out and was like what was that like that was so cool <laughs> I was tripping and like at the time my younger brother he's like you don't claim anything that's not cool and I'm like 
I missed that memo on that one because I was freaking out. Like I did not expect to come out of that thing. Oh, I can't even imagine what being in a barrel is like when you see those images and it's just whoosh. It's like that's why I was like, we gotta go to the wave pool. Yeah. Um, because it's honestly one of the coolest, weirdest, addictive feelings yeah. you can get. You can yeah. understand why people just chase it all year round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you've got serious addiction problems. Yeah, that's my brothers. That. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, like wrap yep. their careers around surfing. You know, they like, yeah. <laughs> people everywhere. Yep. I know it is so addicting. Okay. Last segment, Tyler. Is, uh, is something we called high-low cheer. Do it around the dinner table with my kids. For, with them, it's their high of the day, low of the day, and someone yep. they cheer for. For you, it's the high of your career, the low of your career, and someone who's helped you along the way for your cheer. So why don't we start with high? Hi. Um, I feel like I'm just entering my really high years now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like Love I it. feel like I'm just starting to really kind of fill in to my career mm-hmm. and then low would be probably around 18 I think my career felt like way too big I was mm-hmm. like oh my gosh like maybe 16 between like that's really like developmental years where you have no idea what's going on and I always remember feeling like my career was so big for me and I was like, felt so small in it. And, and, and most of the time it was what other people were wanting for me. And I was like, how am I ever going to feel this? And now, yeah, obviously that was the kind of low bit. Now the cool thing is like, it was way too small to begin with. <laughs> and, and how about your cheer, Tyler? You know, I think my cheer is through my illness. I was so loved um, by my ex-girlfriend. I was so uh, profoundly seen and heard and and cared for and the time and patience that she had for me without her like I wouldn't really be be able to be exactly where I am today with I wouldn't have been challenged on on almost nearly any of the things in my life because you know she called bs straight off the bat and I was like <laughs> damn um yeah I, I get it I get it um but yeah essentially my cheer is just uh for the woman that she is um and the woman that she saw in me and then Mm. also all the women that have been raising me throughout this time as well and I I now am so deeply humbled and so grateful for all the women who have had the strength the sensitivity the courage and the bravery to go up and say no this is not right no we Mm. deserve better and I think that is so much of women's sports. I think it's the WNBA, the U.S. women's soccer team. And it's mums, it's aunties, it's sisters. You know, there's all little things. Um, so, yeah, I think my cheer is just the, you know, my ex-girlfriend who saw more in me than anyone did. And, you know, all you women. Yeah. We're going to have to, like, put a flashing sign above you. Like, I am here. Look the out. <laughs> Look the F out. I wonder if she could surf with that sign above her head. She probably could. Tyler probably has the ability to do that. <laughs> She's so multi-talented. She could totally yeah. do that. Okay, takeaways, Lynn. I 
really admire how Tyler has taken it upon herself to learn and grow mm. and using her talents as a surfer to make a positive difference in a big way. Yeah. And, and then on top of that, my takeaway actually was that after all she's been through and the trauma, as she talked about, mm -hmm. that she still feels mm -hmm. on a daily basis, that she's willing to put herself out there still. You would think after having gone through that, you would be more risk adverse. Like, nah, I'm not sure I, I could do that. And yet she has the courage, given all that she's gone through, to still speak up for inclusivity, diversity, issues that matter to her. Mm -hmm. And that's that's courage to a whole new level. So we love red humans on this podcast and I think Tyler yes. fits the bill there. Yeah. My other takeaway was that she lost the game on a certain question, which I can't that still. That's fantastic. Uh, it just really reaffirms my surfing prowess. Okay. <laughs> Questions permitted, Lynn. Yesterday, you mentioned how you might be tapped out on the cinnamon roll donut debate. <laughs> oh, no. I did. <laughs> I did. Is it resurfacing? For the love of God, I need to get a donut shop owner on this pod. Thankfully, a member of our dope village came to the table with this question. It is from Sandra, a.k.a. at Trojan for Life 06 on Twitter. She asks, is cereal a soup? <laughs> is cereal a soup? This is such a great question for you because you I... love you some cereal. Oh, man. There's never been a bowl of lucky charms I have turned down. I, you know, I, I will say that it is a soup because <laughs> I, I like my cereal soggy, which my 12 year old Declan thinks is disgusting. I'm all for the sog. So I actually let my cereal simmer as a soup for a little bit so that in the milk, so that it can be very soupy soggy. Um, and we all know that soups don't have to be warm, right? So I, I would go with a cereal as a soup. That is my final answer. <laughs> when I read this question, my initial response was, no, it is not a soup. Well, my initial mm. response was, this is an epic question and we will get an answer to it or at least give our unqualified opinions on it. I went no, and the reason being is I thought about what, it, what defines a soup. I went, kind of, I went literal and I was thinking a soup needs a stock base and I wouldn't consider milk stock. Mm. And then because I did know the question ahead of time. I went to Merriam-Webster for, for some definitions. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> I was just going to do that. <laughs> Merriam and Webster, I think, are backing me up here because according to them, a soup is a liquid food, especially with a meat, fish, or vegetable stock as a base and often containing pieces of solid food. But it didn't say always. It said often. 
Um, no, often Read it often again. containing pieces of solid food. It says a spe- a Read liquid food, especially with a meat, fish, or vegetable stock as a base, and often containing pieces of solid food. And then I looked up cereal, which is a prepared food stuff of grain, such as oatmeal or cornflakes. But you need to look up milk. Maybe milk falls under one of those stocks. Hmm. You looked up the wrong word. <laughs> you looked up the wrong word. Oh, boy. Well, here we go. <laughs> Here's our new one. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, I would much rather have my soupy cereal than just soup. So there you go. Okay. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Bring it. I'm very much into mixing and mashing my uh, my uh, substances that go in my soup, meaning my grains. Your cereal soup. <laughs> my cereal soup. I'm going to ask the kids that one. All right. Yet another deep, thought-provoking question from the Dope Village. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for joining us. Please, as a reminder, subscribe, rate, leave a comment on our Apple podcast page. We love hearing from you. So uh, thank you as well to our uber supportive sponsors, Ally Bank and Dick Sporting Goods. And, of course, to our friend Kate Diaz for our theme song, which she wrote and composed. And remember, as always, kids, sing it with us. Laughter Laughter permitted. permitted. Hey, I'm just here to uplift for you to get the good feels. Hey there, Dope Village. I wanted to remind you about the best NFL podcast around. The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny. Every week, the brilliant Mina Kimes tackles the biggest NFL topics with precise analysis and, of course, signature wit. You can find the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, that's her dog, by the way, wherever you get your podcasts. Check it out. Okay, this one's for my soccer peeps. Do not miss Football Americas. It's the new soccer show where Hercules Gomez and Sebastian Salazar cover the U.S. and Mexican national teams throughout the season. I even join them often to talk women's football. So you can stream new episodes every Monday and Thursday only on ESPN+. Check them out. Sign up now.